this day and this Jeroy. Uh, so um, now I importantly want to take this lesson and so I want you to also do the same with your own students to take the time to allow them to talk like how I want you guys to really share with me because today we're gonna in a sense enter into the second phase which is taking the land but before we do that we want to really seal whatever we've talked about and learned and keep track of things uh, we, we, that we've covered in the first three Bible studies and the first four chapters of entering the land so I want to ask the same question I have been asking again what does it mean for you to be part of the Joshua generation this generation or this, this conquest generation what does the promised land and conquering the promised land look like for you and uh, what is your task you feel that the Lord has given to you as CHC 2.0 the modern day Joshua generation I think for me, for the entire Dosa Virus study, is totally speak to me about how I should arise in this current circumstances that the church is facing as well, and self as well, to step out of my comfort zone. Like, you know, my promise is to really grow my connect group. Because I've been years that I feel discouraged because my connect group only have one member. But I think feel that a lot is speaking to me that, you know, after this Bible study, I got a strong voice present that, you know, you can do this. that. Like, you know, it's also a generation can do this, like a conquer generation. Mm. I can also lead with one member. Like, yeah. I can still multiply my connect group and grow the circle, like, you know, help the church to grow itself. Amen. Like, you know, I, I really believe that, like, you know, God is reaching me that, you know, your connect group will grow by this year. Yes. Like, you know, I can see a vision, like, God asked me to start small. Like, at first, He gave me a vision of Daniel to start with three by this year. Then I say, why, why is that three? Then it just reminded me, uh, do not despise the small beginning. I'm really empowered and excited to see how God can really use me as I start to prepare, you know, to receive His word, like mm. in my heart and get serious with Him. Mm. Yeah, I'm very excited for you. Yeah, and I really believe together with you, and I feel that if you are willing to put, and I want you to continue to think about this, pray about this, meditate about this, not so much for clarity in your vision because it seems that you're quite clear, but more of like clarity in what you're supposed to do how you're actually going to do that so now you've got the what but like how are you actually going to do that i need you to pray to god for strategy and i need you to do the due diligence and discipline of taking action yeah it's not it's not gonna happen just because you pray it's gonna happen but you gotta actually do the work yeah and this work doesn't just involve you doing work on your members but it also requires a lot of work if not a little bit more work on yourself yeah your group grows only when you grow yeah, yeah? good i think for me it's more of like um, i think the preparation yeah because i i, I know what like my vision is like what i'm taught to do like to be a self but i think it has been quite some time that fighting for the future that it has not come to pass but going through this Bible study kind of like reminded me of how God first placed this vision and how I should keep the faith of your head to believe in me that you will really come to pass and not just only that but the preparation part I think last week you talked about the preparation part is so apt that sometimes it's not that we are not um, it's not about just the revelation of God like it's important to have this revelation but we need to be prepared to receive to see what God really wants to do Sometimes it's because we are not prepared, that's why God cannot move and therefore we cannot see the breakthrough that we want to see. And I think it's very apt, but perhaps like how I should see in a bigger picture, picture to really think like a cell group leader and to really see how I can act like one yeah. so that I can achieve and be prepared for what God has taught me to do. Amen. And with that, I can then lead my members to achieve the call of God by winning souls because that is the mission to begin the mission yeah. because the whole point of rising up is really to win the souls and yes. then to win the loss. It's no point uh, rising up if you are not going to have an action 
hair. Yes. And therefore, it really spoke to me because I feel that like every time I go, it's always with a lot of friends, and the friends always like come in, then go, come in, and go. It's quite a big um the group age group is quite huge, like poly, IT, and then like secondary school, like set one. And I feel that God is really preparing me like for a greater work. And so I think this entire anchoring of the land is really an assurance that God is really giving me that yes, this year some is gonna multiply. I'm preparing you for a great world. I'm preparing you to achieve and I think winning the mission, like winning the loss happened was spoke so clearly to me still like I receive ETS. To me it's always like yes, the purpose to win souls, but I really understand it when I receive this ES because I now see things in a higher level, in a cell group leader level than just like a member of the community group leader level. It's a new eye opening for me. Y'all same cell group one? Different. Different. Same thing. Good that you are together, lah. I mean, like the, uh, you know, it's very similar. So I think you feed off each other. Very encouraging this Bible study. But I just want to speak into your life. I just want to say that as you are talking, right, the Lord really put the word evangelist in my mind, and I really believe that God has called you to be a great evangelist. If not in your lifetime, at least for this season, that you rise to the, uh, that you rise to the office of the evangelist. And that you will see yourself bring win souls in such great number, you will surprise many around you, and that you will you will be a surprise, uh. It's like a dark horse. I get that sense where it's like a dark horse, right? That's what it's called, right? Black horse or dark horse, right? Yeah, the underdog. You will rise out of nowhere, and you will be a great evangelist. You will win many souls. You will have a following. You will be a mother of many youth, and you will be an evangelist of love because of your fierce love for the young people. I'm just gonna prophesy that over your life, and I really believe that uh, that is what's gonna happen this year. And I'm very excited for you. Amen. You're wrong place, ah. Yeah, you're in a tree of life. Oh, okay, okay. So, um, I'm afraid we have no time to let you guys talk a lot, but I want you guys to hear the recording very importantly because the recording uh gives a little bit of instructions. The one of them is um the need for you to take this lesson when you do with your members, right? To really um take the time to let them talk about certain things. Right, especially their task on what it means to be the Joshua generation, and then secondly, the task of what it means to uh, what the discipleship lesson means for you. Right, so I'm afraid we also don't have time to talk about it because we started late and we're, I'm rushing for time to our appointment later. But I just want to have one reminder for okay, three technical reminders. One, I do want you to talk about it in social media. So please get it out because I do want our members to get a gist of what's going on as well. Have you guys been posting on social media? No, uh, so please do that, right? Secondly, teach your people. Uh, I understand that some of you have all of you started teaching your people already. Not yet. Okay, so do start teaching by next week, right? And then the the third and more important thing that I want to remind all of us, so I will be. You guys really have to put. Yourself to task with each Bible study, like the first one, which is your why, the being part of Joshua generation. Some of you are clearer, some of you are not so clear. You must task yourself to do that. Then the second one about winning the loss at any cost, the part of the mission, mission within the mission. Uh, I'm not going to follow up on you and like who you're actually reaching out to, but you you should you should really task yourself to do that. And in the chapter three, chapter four on discipleship, how is it actually really going to change the way you disciple your members uh, practically? So don't just give me answers, philosophical answers. Don't just give philosophical answers to yourself. Like oh yeah, I understand. I don't care whether you understand or not. I care what you're doing about it. So it's very important that we do not just come because this Bible study is going to happen every single week, and every week you're going to be inspired. Every week you're going to be excited. Every week you're going to hear your ears tingle. But at the end of the Bible study, 
you finish your Joksha Bible study, if your life is not changed and transformed, right, you will grow proud. And then you will think to yourself, the next time I have another Bible study, ah, maybe don't need lah, it's the same one. Because your life is not changed. And it's not my fault, it's not the worst fault, it's your fault. You didn't task yourself. You didn't force yourself to take the word and to live it out. Recently, I saw this Instagram post by John Bergier. One act of obedience is better than a hundred sermons. It is true. What's going to change your life is if you allow the word of God to change your life. If you, the Hebrew word is Shema, which doesn't just mean listen, but the word Shema means listen and obey when you actually do it. So the doing part is something that I can have no control over. And you have to be responsible leaders to really do that. As my DG, I expect that. Okay, Anna? Okay, let's get to today's Bible study. Maybe, uh, Jeroy, you want to open us in a word of prayer? Amen. just want all of us to be reminded and I'm going to give a little quick overview so that as we enter the second phase of the Bible study we are all clear where we're heading to. So first and foremost we are at the second phase which is taking the land right? Now entering the land consists of which chapters? 1 to 4. Yeah. Taking the land consists of chapters 5 to 12. Okay, chapters 5 to 12. And they can be further broken up into 5 parts. Chapter 5 to 8, chapter 9, 10, 11, and 12. Okay? So, taking the land is chapter 5 to 12. And this 5 to 12, this whole phase of taking the land, can be further broken up to 5 to 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Uh, this is how this the text is broken up. Okay, of course, we will not have one lesson for 5 to 8, one lesson 9, 10. Okay, we will have one chapter per lesson. It will be very difficult for me to cover 5 to 8 in, in one sitting. Okay, but 5 to 8 is put 5 to 8 and it will be the longest story that we have encountered thus far. So far, the longest full story is chapter 3, chapter 4, right? Yeah but we can do that in one setting because it's just two chapters but this one is too long, right? Which is also why as we look today specifically only at Joshua chapter 5 verse 1 to verse 12 we're only going to look at chapter 5 verse 1 to verse 12, right? So as we look at that today, right? we will not be able to see the same kind of literary techniques and applications that we had previously. Because what we're looking at 5 verse 1 to verse 12 is only like a small part of the first full story. Are you all with me? Yeah. yeah? If you any questions, just ask, okay? Because I'm going to go a bit fast today. Okay, that's why we, we cannot really see like all oh, the middle section, the holding in suspense. We don't quite get that because we're only looking at a little bit of the first full story, okay? But nevertheless, we can see three very distinct points that surface from verse 1 to verse 12. The first one is in verse 1. The second one is in verse 2 to verse 9. And the third one is from verse 10 to verse 12. Okay. So are you all clear about the overview so far? Okay. So when you teach your own Bible study, right, if your people don't understand this kind of thing or they don't really know on this kind of thing, you can skip this one, you know, right? I'm just giving it to you because I want you guys to get a full picture and you guys appreciate what's going on, right? And I don't know, I, I, I kind of like, like it, like I need to know where everything is, right? Okay, let's look at verse 1. Somebody read verse 1. Verse 1, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings who live along the Mediterranean coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River, so the people of Israel could cross. They lost heart and 
were paralyzed with fear because of that. Yeah. So over here in verse 1, we hear about God's exploits, Yahweh's exploits, or maybe Israel's exploits, right? This enemy king hears about how Yahweh and Israel, they're doing great exploits, and they respond in fear. Looking at verse 1, we realize that there's nothing much there, except the fact that enemy king here, the greatness of God and the greatness of Israel's exploits and are afraid. But we must read verse 1 in the context of the whole section of taking the land. That means from chapter 5 all the way to chapter 12. When we look at verse 1 in the context of chapter 5 to chapter 12, we see that verse 1 repeats itself at certain occasions. First time it repeats itself is in verse 9. I'm sorry, chapter 9. Chapter 9. Take a look at chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 1 and verse 2. It says in verse 1, Now all the kings west of the Jordan River heard about what happened, right? And then in verse 2 of chapter 9, these kings decide to combine their armies and fight against Joshua and the Israelites. So same thing. We hear enemy kings hearing about Yahweh and Israel and then they respond in fear or they respond in force, right? Then we see one turn page to the right, chapter 10. We see the same thing. Chapter 10, verse 1, we hear another set of kings hearing about how Israel and Yahweh destroy other kings, right? You see that in chapter 10, verse 1? Yeah. And then in chapter 10, verse 2, same thing. They became very afraid. You see that in, in verse 2, chapter 10? Yeah. yeah. And then we see that again in verse, sorry, in chapter 11, verse 1 to verse 4. So verse 1 to verse 3, we have all the various kings hearing about the exploit so far. And then in verse 4 of chapter 11, they respond by coming out to fight together, right? So we see here, in chapter 5, verse 1, in chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, in chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, and in chapter 11, verse 1 to verse 4, same thing. The enemy kings hear about God and Yahweh, God and Israel's exploits and they respond in fear or they band together to fight against them. Now this is Joshua's or the author's literary way of dividing up the text. This is how he marks the divisions in the text or the divisions in the story of taking the land. Which is why you see it is chapter 5 to 8 is one, chapter 9 is another, chapter 10 is another and chapter 11 is another part in this whole taking the land story. And they are all all their beginnings and their divisions are marked by enemy kings hearing, enemy kings responding, and then gonna conquer lah. Alright. chapter 12 doesn't have that because chapter 12 is the last chapter of the story of taking the land. And if you look at chapter 12, you don't return to it. If you look at chapter 12, it is a summary. It has a list of all the kings at the end of the day that were being defeated. Alright? So this is how uh, verse this is the significance of verse 1 and a little bit more about the overview of taking the land. Are you okay? Yeah. Now, let's take a look at verse 2 to verse 9. You realize that verse 2 to verse 9 is something completely different from verse 1. Just looking at verse 2 and verse 9, can someone tell me what it's about? Exactly, right? Circumcision. Verse 2 to verse 9 is about circumcision. And what does circumcision symbolize? Separation. Yeah, it, is, it symbolizes separation. What else? Huh? Okay, you gotta speak louder, Jeremiah. Consecration. Uh, consecration, yeah. Sanctification, consecration, purification, you know, it's along those lines. Uh, very good. So, verse 10 to verse 12, if you look at it, what do you think it talks to us about? What does verse 10 to verse 12 tell us about? These are the two highlights uh, of uh, verse 10 to verse 12 and they all point to us about God's provision. Okay? Provision. Now we're going to take a look specifically at verse 2 to verse 9 
or more accurately verse 2 to verse 7. So why not uh, someone read for us uh, verse 2 to verse 7 very quickly. At that time, the Lord told Joshua, Make clean knives and circumcise this second generation of Israelites. So Joshua made clean knives and circumcised the entire male population of Israel in Gilgal. Joshua had to circumcise them because all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died in the wilderness. Those who left Egypt has all been circumcised, but none of those born after Exodus during years in the wilderness have been circumcised. Oh, it's not Gilgal, it's Gibeah, Haralo. Okay, but carry on please. The Israelites had traveled in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died. For they had disobeyed the law, and the Lord vowed they could, he could not let them enter the land he had sought to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So Joshua circumcised their sons, those who had grown up to take their father's places, for they had not been circumcised on the way to the promised land. Okay, now, verse 2 to verse 7 talks to us about two different groups of people, right? Who are the two different groups of people? Yeah. So I want you, uh, we're just going to call them the Exodus generation, alright? So we have on one hand the Exodus generation, and on the other hand we have the Joshua generation. So we have two different generations that are being talked about. Now how are they described specifically in verse 5? How are they described in verse 5? Uh, one, one group is circumcised, the other. Yeah, who is circumcised? Uh, the Exodus. Yeah, very good. So the Exodus generation is circumcised, whereas the Joshua generation were uncircumcised. And I just want us to keep in the back of our heads what circumcision means, right? Consecration. Now, what does verse 6 say about the Exodus generation? What happens to them? Exactly, right? So the Exodus generation died. What does verse 7 have to say about the Joshua generation? They arise and take over their father places. Yeah. What does the verse say? So Joshua circumcised their sons. Those who had grown up to take their father places yeah. while they had not been circumcised on yeah. the way to the promised land. So the key word there is they 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 they, they rise up, right? Yeah. Okay, but your translation and my translation makes a mistake of missing out something, right? In my translation it says the same thing. So Joshua circumcised their sons, those who had grown up to take their father's places, right? But what the New King James version, anybody? New King James? Okay, let's hear it. Yeah. So stop right there. So they were called as the people whom he raised up. Who is he? How you know? Capital H, right? Yeah. So we see that the Exodus generation died, but the Joshua generation were raised up by God. So it's not kind of like they took their place kind of thing or like they usurped the throne or something like that. It is God who raised them up. So I want you to take a look at what is happening over here. And I want you to tell me what you think. On one hand, we have the Exodus generation who are circumcised, which means consecration and stuff like that. They end up dying. But the Joshua generation, uncircumcised, they ended up being raised up by God. What is happening here? Anybody? 
feel like it is more of the art instead of the actual religious action that Exactly. Yeah. The point is this. You can have all the marks of the people of God, but still lack the proper response from the people of God. You can have all the marks of the people of God, but still lack the proper response as the people of God. In other words, you may hold a position of membership in the church or in the cell group, but still have no relationship with God. These folks had the circumcision without the consecration. And that's the problem. So you may hold, even for you guys, right, a position of leadership, but have no relationship with God. Because they had the circumcision, but they had no consecration. They had the form, but not the faith. They had the style, but not the substance. And the substance is really what I want to talk about today. The first point I want us to take note of in verse 2 to verse 7 is that God is looking for substance, not performance. God is looking for substance, not performance. He's not interested in who you are on stage. He is looking at who you are off stage. The classic Chinese Yan Yu will be Hai Sang, He is looking at the Gong you do Hai Xia. He is looking at your private life. By substance, I refer to your personal and private life. This personal and private life speaks of your personal and private devotional life. Your prayer life, your word life. Do you fast? Or are the only times you fast the times where it's a corporate fast? Do you only pray when you have to pray in a cell group setting? Or, you know, when it's in a public setting? Do you have your own prayer life with the Lord? Your word life, do you only study the word so that you can teach your Bible study? Or do, you, or do you study the word for yourself so that God can speak to you and help you to grow? Do you have substance in your devotional life? Or is all your spirituality a performance? Because God is not looking for performance. God is looking for the substance. Whether you are men and women of substance. And both of you early on had the time and the privilege to share with me about growing your groups and stuff like that. Let me tell you, God is not looking for your style. You don't need to speak like wave. God is not looking for your form, your circumcision, whether you know you are circumcised or you know whether you cut your hair like wave, maybe I don't know. He's not looking for the outward. He's looking for your substance. Whether or not you will be effective leaders of your groups and Joshua's in this generation, whatever that means for you, right? It boils down to your substance. Whether you will have this substance or not is what God is interested in and it's what God is looking for. Now, your personal and private life includes your devotional life. But it also speaks of your private, personal, home life. I don't have a good word for it, so I'm just calling it home life. Like for me, if I cannot even take care of my marriage, it disqualifies me from taking care of yours. If you guys are not married yet, but you guys have your own personal relationships. Some of you are attached, some of you are not yet. But all of you have loved ones who are who, who, who belong to this private sphere. Nobody really knows what goes on between you and your boyfriend. Nobody really are you attached, no right? Nobody really knows what goes on between you and your family, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister. How do you interact with them? Do you bear unforgiveness? Are you rude to your parents? Nobody knows one, you know. But this is what God is looking for. Who you are in your private life. 
Are you a person of substance at home? Are you a son, a brother, a sister, a boyfriend, a girlfriend of substance? Or are you just... Or, or do you think that, you know, it's only who you are on the outside? You know, God is not looking at who you are in front of the Sabbath members. In the Sabbath meeting, in the service, whether you have that hands or not. God is more interested in your substance. And that is crucial. That is what we're talking about here. Who you are in your private life. Are you okay? Are you, do you understand what I'm trying to say? So that is the first point I, I want us to take note of. The second thing I want us to take note of is in verse 6. Now somebody read verse 6. Amen. The author mentions two things. I mean, the author mentions something that God does twice. What is it? Yes, so exactly, he swore twice, or he made two vows. Who are these vows towards, and what are they? This vow is uh, towards the, about the land, but towards Exodus generation to the Jewish generation. And then the other vow? The other vow is uh, to the Read lah! Who did he promise to give the land to? Huh? first time he promised to give the promised land was to who? Huh? Yes, Abraham. So there are two times that God swore, or two vows that God makes. The first one was to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in Exodus chapter 32 verse 13, right? This is even before the Moses generation, right? That they will enter the land. But the second time God swore, the more recent one, is to the Exodus generation. And to the Exodus generation, he said, you will not enter the land. So one, he swore you will enter the land. And then another time he swore you will not enter the land. So my question is, does the new and more recent vow or to the Exodus generation that you will not enter the land, does this new and recent vow negate and cancel the old vow? No, of course, not at all. Because we learn that Joshua and generation do enter the promised land. So what do we learn here? We learn that God's promise endures for all generations. But that's not my main point. That is the preface. The preface and the premise is that God's vow and swearing endures for all generations. But my main point is this. While God's vow and promise endures for all generations, one generation we read, because of their unbelief, forfeited themselves from the share of this promise. We must be careful that we don't forfeit ourselves from the promise that God has given to us as City Harvest Church. God has given our forefathers, our Abraham, so to speak, the promise, the swore, the vow that we will raise, he will raise up a generation of young people that will take the nations by storm. 
I pray that we will never be the generation that will forfeit ourselves from that because of our unbelief or because as we read earlier the lack of substance we must be people who are sobered by this point we do not want to forfeit our share in the promise that God has for us the premise is that unbelief might delay the fulfillment of God's promise but it doesn't deny it that's the premise right but that's not the main point that's the premise that unbelief might delay God's promise but it doesn't deny it right we understand that clearly from here the Exodus generation delayed the fulfillment of God's promise but it doesn't deny it because the Joshua generation fulfilled it right but my main point is this the fulfillment of God's promise is not denied God will still ensure that his show goes his show goes on that his plan is still carried out that his destiny for the world is still executed right God will still fulfill his promise in spite of your unbelief but the main point is this he will fulfill his promise in spite of unbelief but through someone else through someone else who believes through someone else who has faith through someone else of substance are you with me now yes so god will still fulfill his promise God's plan will still carry on. It endures all generations. We could possibly be a generation that forfeit ourselves from it, or we could be the generation that God uses to fulfill it. If we don't rise up to the occasion, God will use someone else who will. We learned last week, for us, if we don't set up for a step up, we will end up with a slip up, right? We learn. Then we will slip up and we will miss out on the promise and the plan that God has for us, right? If we don't set up for a step up, we will end up with a slip up. That's for us. But for God, it is different. For God, if we don't set up for a step up, He will raise up the backup. He will raise up someone else this Joshua generation this call to be CAC 2.0 this prophetic message that you are now listening to you are listening to not by chance not by planning but by divine appointment you are listening to this and if you don't set up for a step up if you don't step up to this call that you're now listening to to rise up as a Joshua generation God will raise up someone else if you don't raise up if you don't step up in your substance God will raise up the backup because while men look for better methods God looks for better men if you don't crudely speaking back up if you don't step up to substance he will raise up the backup you will raise up someone else. This must be a sobering point for us all. Which leads me to point two. God has no problems and God will use a plan B. God has no problems using the backup plan. God has no problems using the plan B. I'm not saying that God will only use a plan B, but God has no problems using a plan B. This is both a sobering point for us, but it should also be an encouraging point for us. Because when I first started out, I didn't look like a plan A at all. Neither did I feel like a plan A. 
some of you here, you might not think you're plan A for one reason or another. You don't feel like you're a Moses. You feel you're inadequate, unprepared, unskilled, you don't talk like Wayne, you're not as charismatic as Bing. You don't feel like plan A at all. But God is not looking for a plan A with form, with circumcision, with style. No. He is looking for anyone who has substance, who has the faith, and who has the consecration. And you may not look like a plan A. You may not be his plan A. You may be a plan B. But because you are consecrated, you have faith, and you are of substance, God can raise a plan B into a plan A. And especially when a plan A doesn't step up, you are ready to be used by There will be many, I tell you, whom are plan A's, but they will not step up to the occasion. They have the gifts, they have what it takes, they, are, they have natural abilities. But while they are all called, not all of them will respond to the call. That is where we, the plan B's, rise. Are you with me now? And there's always room for us to rise. Are you okay? So, God will use and raise up the backup, and God will raise up the plan B. But the kind of person that God will raise up, right, is a person of substance. Okay? Now let me go to the third and final point, which we see in verse 10 to verse 12. Now already identified earlier, verse 10 to verse 12 has a couple of key points. One is the eating of the land, and then the other one, as Daniel brought, is the celebration of the Passover. In verse 10, we see the celebration of the Passover. Now, the celebration of the Passover is the first thing that points us to this idea of provision. It doesn't seem like it, but if we put ourselves in their shoes, then will we understand and appreciate it. Because the first time they celebrated the Passover was where? Was in Egypt. When their when their four 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 fathers, great 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 grandfathers were slaves in Egypt. They killed a lamb, they ate the lamb, and they painted the, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, and then you know ultimately the spirit of death came, killed all the enemies and they were delivered and brought out of Egypt, right? That was the first Passover. And then not only did they celebrate the first Passover, it marked the beginning of their redemption. Now, when they celebrate the Passover, the fact that they were now celebrating the Passover in the promised land, it meant so much for them. They were overwhelmed. You can imagine how overwhelmed they are in emotion that I never thought this day would come. It took so many years, the death of so many generations of forefathers and grandfathers. But finally, we are celebrating the Passover in the Promised Land. And this celebration of the Passover marked the completion of the redemption. And it taught them that God truly is a God who provides. That God doesn't give just a vision, He gives the provision. So you must appreciate the kind of emotion that they had at that point of time. They were overwhelmed with emotion. Now, the second thing that is emphasized, which is the real emphasis of verse 10 to verse 12, is of course the eating of the produce of the land. We see it mentioned three times in just two verses. Verse 11, the very next day, they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. Harvested from the land, first time. No manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land, second time. And it was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan, third time. Three times 
eating the produce of the land is mentioned in just two verses. It clearly is an emphasis, right? In verse 12, it mentions that there is a ceasing of mana falling from the sky. My question is, the mana may have ceased, but has God ceased providing? Of course not, right? But now the provision has taken on a very different form. Back in the wilderness, they had extraordinary need. Extraordinary need warrants extraordinary provision. Now in the promised land, ordinary need warrants ordinary provision. Extraordinary provision, ordinary provision, at the end of the day, all still God's provision. It is ultimately still God who provides, whether or not in an extraordinary way or an ordinary way. People. Hello? I'm at Kathy D. Yes, you gotta hurry now because I'm finishing up Bible study and I'm going up to meet Pastor Kong already. Okay? Bye bye. The fountain one, the fountain one, beside Nam Nam. Okay, bye. Okay, so. Um, Saying. Yeah, ultimately it's still God's provision. Now people tell me stupid things of how like, you know, I want God to provide for me, like how they provided for the children of Israel, mana falling from the sky. We sometimes want money to fall from the heavens. But they have no idea what they're talking about. If they want extraordinary provision, they must be prepared to be in extraordinary need. You don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want to be in extreme poverty for money to fall from the sky. I don't want. I, I, you, can, you can save it for yourself, you know. We want ordinary provision. That's what we really want. Now, it, 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 this ordinary provision is described as they ate unleavened bread and roasted grain that they harvested from the land. That was the way ordinary provision looked like for them. And it's the way ordinary provision looks like for us. Today, we too have to harvest from the land. But of course, we are not farmers, but there is a harvesting, there is a work required. And so, our ordinary provision is in our jobs, in our schools, through our education, and then ultimately we get a good job, through our careers that we have to work every day in. That is how God provides for us. But we don't usually see our career, our work, we don't usually see our school as God's provision. We see it as toil instead. But that is the way God provides. And we sometimes therefore have a wrong approach to studying and a wrong approach to work. We think that, you know, God is going to provide by raining money, but it's not. This is the way God is going to provide for us. Which is why we need to work hard in our careers as well as in, in, in our schools. Now, you know, sometimes I hear people share testimony with me saying that, you know, I met with a car accident and then I, I, I was protected, the Lord provided, I wasn't harmed at all. I am truly grateful for the Lord, to, 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 for them, for, to the Lord for them, right? But at the same time, I can also give God thanks. Because I should be thanking God that I didn't need any accident when I was driving. So the Lord always provides and also provides. But we miss out on these ordinary provisions. We miss out on these ordinary acts of grace of, uh, that God has in our lives. We make the mistake. Our member sometimes makes a mistake. At the testimony time, they always share things like when going for interview or when taking the exam, and they say, oh, God really showed up for me. You know, God really came through for me. I always look at them sharing this kind of testimony and people, hello? You, you want me to meet you at church, right? Stay at the reset. I will be there at one o'clock. Okay, bye bye. I'm giving Bible study now. Bye bye. Yeah. They say things like God came through for me. God really showed up. 
always look at them a bit amused and think to myself, none tell the Lord didn't show up the rest of your life. None tell it is not because God came through for you. That's why you can even go for your exam. It's not every single breath we take in our lungs, God coming through for us and showing up. If God didn't show up, we will not be able to take the very next breath. Our whole lives are held together because God shows up all the time. Because God is ever present. Because God is always at work. Because God's grace alone is what gives us our existence. We must therefore have hearts of gratitude. And I love the Chinese word for thanksgiving, which is gan en. Because it is literally translated as feel grace. To the extent to the extent in which we feel the grace of God is the extent in which we come before God with hearts of thanksgiving. It's when we don't recognize the grace of God. In the ordinary things, we stop thanking God and we stop coming to God with hearts of thanksgiving. And that is dangerous. Why? Because in the story of the ten lepers, for example, in the New Testament, Jesus heals ten lepers, nine go and go clap hands, only one comes back to Jesus and thanks him. And Jesus says, where are the other nine? But because you are the only one that came back and gave me thanks. He says, go your way, for your faith has made you well. And we know that the word well is incorrectly translated from the Greek. That the correct translation should be, go your way, for your faith has made you whole. For some reason, only the one who came back to give thanks were made fully redeemed, was made whole. The rest of the nine were healed, but were not whole. The point here is this, your attitude of gratitude is a condition for God's provision. Your attitude of gratitude is a condition for God's provision. If you do not come to God with hearts of thanksgiving, if you are not grateful, God cannot and will not provide for you. The third and final point is this. God will raise you to the altitude of your attitude. God will raise you up to the altitude, to the level of your gratitude, of your attitude of gratitude. Now listen to me. Of all the things we must be and now know we should be grateful for, every single breath we take, right? One of the things that we most importantly, one of the things, one of the most important things that we must be grateful for is this, listen carefully, is the call of God upon our lives. It's the call to be part of this Joshua generation. But very often we are grateful for the big things, the spectacular, the extraordinary things, the promotions, the money, the safety from accidents. But we are not grateful for the fact that God has called us to serve Him. That we get to be part of the Joshua generation. That we get to build the church. Now this is an awesome privilege that we get to be part of the Joshua generation and we must be grateful for it. Why? You see, all of you have big dreams. You want to raise up leaders. You want to become an evangelist. God is only going to provide for you to grow your connect group, to multiply your cell group, and whatever it is, it is that God has called you to be a Joshua generation. God will only provide for you to the level of your gratitude. If you're not grateful for this mission, this vision that God has called you to do, God won't provide for you. God will only raise you up to the altitude of your attitude. Your attitude of gratitude is the condition for this provision. Amen? Amen. I want to now I want to just sum up these three points and say this. The plan A may have the form, but God will use a plan B with the faith. The plan A may have the circumcision, but God will use a plan B with the consecration. The plan A may have the style, 
but God will use a plan B with substance. Substance is what God, God is looking for. And you and I, we, we need to have an attitude of gratitude so that we allow God to raise us up from a plan B to a plan A. If you think of your own life as a plan B and oh, you know, I'm just a parental leader, I'm not a leader, and you're not grateful for even what God has called you and given you to do now, God will not use you, God will not raise you up. You must first be grateful for where you are and what you have now. Have faith that God can do great things, but be grateful for what you have right now. Don't complain. Other people got better members, other people more gifted. Other people have members whom are more obedient. Don't! Your attitude of gratitude is a condition for His provision for you as a connected leader, a self-leader, whatever it is that God has called you to be. Our role is to maintain the attitude of gratitude. Our role is to develop our faith, consecration and substance so that God will raise us up to new levels. So that God will use us. And even if we are a plan B, God can make us into a plan A. And everybody said, Amen. So I want to close today with the title of today's Bible study. And the title of today's Bible study is not so much a title as it is a question. And the question is, do you have what it takes to take the land? Do you have what it takes to take the land? Because the world thinks that they know what it takes. The world thinks it's about force, it's about big armies, it's about size, it's about style, it's about the outward, it's about the circumcision, it is about the form. Do you have a say or not? The world thinks that that is what it takes to take the land. But that is not what it takes to take the land. What it takes to take the land is substance. It's always having this attitude of gratitude towards the Lord. When we think about our calling, we must remember that what it takes to take the land, what it takes to fulfill our calling, is substance and is this attitude of gratitude. It's good news for us that God uses the plan B. Because not all of us are gifted with style. Not all of us are gifted with form. Not all of us get to be circumcised and be under the Bible study of Pastor Tom. Doesn't matter. What matters is substance, our personal consecration, our personal faith. The secret things that happen in your secret place, the secret things that happen in the privacy of your own home. How you treat people when nobody is looking and how you treat the Lord when nobody is watching. That is what is really going to take for you to take the land. That is how you are going to grow yourself. That's how you are going to modify and grow your own self. Don't focus so much on the technique. Is it important? Yes. You cannot be ignorant to develop your skills. But what's most important is that when you say things, you have substance. There's a weight and an anointing for what you say. And you can't learn that from class. You develop that and build that in your private life, <coughs> in your devotional life. How much you pray. I can say the exact same thing. Jesus believes in you. But it's different when someone else with weight is substance. Jesus believes in. So just how you say it. It's what you say. Does it carry the anointing? All these things come, this, all this substance comes from a devotional life. Praying, just seeking the Lord. It comes from a price you have to pay that nobody is going to, wow, very good, very good. Nobody's going to applaud you. It's not a public performance. It is a private substance. Okay? Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Okay, maybe just will close us quickly in a short prayer.
substance or not. The substance is due to the core of the vision that you have placed in our life. That we will not just perform well, but God will also be able to work on our own private life, to be consistent in our own private life, and also be what we actually do and preach when we are with our members and when we are in church. So that I pray that we will apply this not just in the of the word, but we will be doable of the word. We will put whatever that we have learned in Bible study into our own life and apply it over. That's my thing, my prayer, and everybody say. Amen. You guys took home something? Yes. I want you guys to raise up a generation of young people, including yourselves, right, to be people of substance. I need you all to be leaders of substance. Huh? I will both say, never mind. That just really doesn't matter. Huh? What matters is that you're strong on the inside. Yeah. And the interesting thing is this. When you focus on what's going on on the inside, right? The outside will change automatically. The outside form will start to take shape. Okay? I got to rush off already. Hey, thank you. Can I? Thank you. Hey, thank you. See you guys. Be blessed.